Jordan Hill-Lewis is the executive mayor of Cape Town. Uh, nice to be catching up with you again, Jordan. You've been all over the world since we last chatted. Lovely to see that you post pictures on your uh, Twitter or X stream, New York, Washington, London. Do you learn much on those visits and uh, engagements with other mayors? Well, you do actually learn a lot in, in those engagements with other mayors. They're fascinating. Uh, some, so many of the challenges we face are actually common uh, even though they don't have anything like the kind of poverty and, and informality that we have here, still the some of the challenges uh, and uh, and hurdles are, are really common. But actually, on this particular trip, I was answering a number of invitations I received from the London School of Economics and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and and various other places that invited me to speak. And you just can't do all you can't uh, you know shuttle back and forth. Uh, so it's better to group them all together and do one one trip and 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 go and speak at a whole lot of places, which is what I did. It was good fun. It was uh, and uh, and positive, you know, very very positive towards particularly in London. It 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 stands to reason that there's a huge uh, awareness of Cape Town in London, uh, a very strong brand. So that's you know that was a a, a packed out uh, auditorium at the London School of Economics. Really great reception and uh, and good feedback there. In America, there's less awareness of, of what's happening in Cape Town, uh, and there's more of a kind of broad brushstroke uh, view of South Africa, which I must say is quite negative. Uh, and so there it is even more important to differentiate and to, and to tell the, the accurate story of what is happening in Cape Town and make it clear that the South African story is not homogenous, that there are different things happening at, at different levels of government. I remember well, we got the State of the Nation coming up on Thursday, and I remember a State of the Nation some years ago when a former president said, we've got a good story to tell when there wasn't, but you've really got a good story to tell here in Cape Town. Uh, and particularly that that tweet that you put on there, a record of 317,000 international visitors in Cape Town in December. That's an extraordinary achievement in a country that, as you say, in certain parts of the world, doesn't have a terribly good reputation. How did you do it? Well, I think a couple of things have have made the difference. Uh, firstly, it 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 certainly doesn't hurt that South Africa is seen as a very low cost destination. For uh, it might not be the case for us who live here in rands, but when you are uh, traveling in dollars or pounds or euros, uh, South Africa is a very low cost destination, and increasingly so as the rand has got weaker. Uh, and uh, but you know Cape Town has a wonderful brand on the global stage, and it and is on the travel lists of of many people, if not most people, uh, and regularly performs very well on global travel rankings and so on. So it's, it, it really is out there and it has a great presence. Uh, and so we have supplemented that with some of our own marketing campaigns. And I think the thing that has made the biggest difference is the efforts that we have put in along with our, our colleagues in the provincial government to get more direct flights uh, uh, to Cape Town from around the world. And that has been a uh, probably the single biggest intervention. The reason you start hearing so many more American accents around the streets of Cape Town uh, at the moment right now is because of those three direct flights from from D.C., New York, and, and Atlanta. So those are making a big difference. And many other things besides, uh, but mainly those. Those flights, how can you increase them? Or what is the process that brings more uh, of the international flights into the Cape Town International Air Airport? Do you have to 
go through some kind of a, a, a national rule book? There, there is an, a few national hoops that you have to jump through, but but by and large, that's been led by our uh, our agency called Westgrow, uh, which is a, a kind of joint agency of the of the province, the city, and they go and they they actively court uh, uh, airlines from around the world, and you know this, the 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 program offers some very small, very uh, modest incentives and so on for. For airlines to come here, uh, and generally, we find that when airlines actually are awake to the possibility of of how attractive a market Cape Town is, then uh, they you know they run with it. They uh, they go for it, and the, and those flights work very well. And so we have something like in the peak season, if memory serves, two hundred and fifteen international flights uh, landing here in the city a week. And that is direct to here. So that makes a massive difference. Okay, those are all good news stories. And as uh, you say, you are working towards making Cape Town a city of hope. But on the other hand, we have seen the area that I live now live in, uh, a number of arson uh, attacks in the past little while. We had our mayor here in the Overstrand saying that um, there is the threat to make the Western Cape ungovernable ahead of the election. Are you seeing any of this happening in your remit? And indeed, if so, uh, are you, is there anything you can do to stop it or to, to at least prevent um, this kind of chaos? I mean, I remember you did have bad fires in uh, Simonstown recently, but I guess this, is this something that's occupying your mind? We have had a very busy and bad fire season, uh, and our, our fire crews have just been absolutely heroic, and and our uh, pilots as well. Uh, the you know I'm almost convinced that the, the 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 vast majority of, if not all of them, are all man-made fires. Uh, there's very few natural fires, but uh, but you know I don't have specific evidence to indicate that there is arson uh, at play here. I just uh, I know what I know, so to speak. I, I, I just uh, I have a very strong sense, and so do our fire professionals. But until we have any hard evidence, it's it, it's difficult to say with certainty. Of course, we we continue to investigate all those incidents, and we just uh, you know ask residents if they if they see anything suspicious uh, to use their cell phones to uh, to take videos to report it to us immediately. Call our emergency line, and and of course we'll take those very seriously. I do think I must say I agree with with uh, Mayor Rabi uh, that I think in the in the run up to the elections we see this every election in Cape Town and the Western Cape in, in general that uh, there are efforts to to sow a, a bit of mayhem and chaos and you'll see uh, increasing numbers of so called uh, service delivery protests which are uh, you, you know nothing of the sort increasing uh, violence and aggression of those protest actions. And uh, you know we've seen in the in recent weeks uh, the ANC and their alliance partners in this province, at least, coming out and explicitly saying, uh, you know, quote unquote, that they will make the Western Cape ungovernable. They've tried before and and they've failed spectacularly. I think they'll fail again this time, but I'm sure that they will give it a, a shot. Jordan, take us through a little bit of your crime prevention strategy. And, and I say this because a recent conversation with Franz Cronier, who's a very well-known 
for his uh, political commentary, he said that he visited you and um, went and got to see exactly what you have. And he, he was full of praise. He says, it's quite spectacular what you've achieved by using technology. Would that not also assist in preventing or at least making those who would uh, want to create mischief a, a little bit um, reticent? Yes, it will, especially when we get our latest uh, piece of technology, which is arriving in about a month's time, uh, called uh, you know Eye in the Sky technology, which will allow us to have super high definition uh, video uh, footage uh, on anywhere in the city uh, within minutes. Uh, there, will, there will basically be permanent drone drone uh, uh, availability above the skies of the city, uh, allowing us to to really get across the city to to follow suspects, to crime scenes, to fires, to accidents, vehicle accidents, you name it, uh, within within minutes. And that's going to be really, really very exciting to see the impact of that when it goes live in about a month, uh, in about a month's time. Uh, it's taken us a long time to find the technology and the, and the companies to do that, but, but we are now uh, ready to roll that out, or very nearly ready to roll it out. And that is one part of our technology rollouts, uh, but but there's much more besides. And and France, uh, you, you, we we spent some time showing some of that to France. But it's it's all in the uh, a, a great deal of it is in the in the camera space. So we've got other uh, smaller uh, drones that can be deployed in hotspot areas. Uh, we are the first law enforcement agency in the country to roll out body compulsory body cameras for every one of our officers our first 800 officers are equipped already and the rest will be equipped uh, this year with with those we've got the the dashboard cameras rolling out on it, all of our vehicles that are license plate recognition enabled allowing officers to track people in you know live instantaneously vehicles that are that are uh, being looked for uh, and so on and and then of course the i think probably the you know uh, technology makes the officers that you have much more effective. Gives them real-time uh, intelligence. Uh, makes them, you know, helps them to see around the corner. But uh, but ultimately, the job still has to be done by officers on the ground. And and really, the key part of the intervention is these focused focused uh, deployments of officers in the worst crime hotspots on the. On the Cape Flats and in townships in Cape Town, where where our violent crime stats are the worst, it's totally data led, uh, uh, you know, statistics led deployments, and uh, and that's what's having the real impact. And if we can't afford another three or four thousand officers, that's financially not attainable. But if you can make each of your officer double as effective using the technology overlays, uh, then then you can achieve uh, you know the same kind of leverage. And that's that's really the the strategy we are pursuing. Let's just close off with what's going on on the energy front uh, ahead of your election. That was your position. Uh, you were going to make Cape Town load shedding free. Uh, I've been following the progress as I think many are many of those who voted for you have as well. Uh, it was interesting to see last week that you brought in a whole new um, Power Heroes uh, pr proposal. But where are you on the on the whole uh, bringing in of new power and indeed being able to make 
Cape Town a economic center where people can come with their businesses and know that there won't be load shedding. That's that's the vision. That's absolutely the vision. So if we just talk about the big, uh, chunky utility scale procurement of, of 500 uh, megawatts, that procurement is all done. Uh, the, those, uh, those successful bidders have been notified. They are going through the process of proving that they have finance. They have a little while longer to prove that they have finance, after which we, we start to sign contracts and let them, uh, let them start building. So that, uh, you know, the, the, the length of time that it takes before you actually start seeing bricks and mortar, uh, or in this case, solar panels going up is, is frustrating, but, but that's, uh, you know, we're going through that process and, and I'm still pushing it very hard every day to make sure it happens as quickly as possible. But there's a whole lot of other smaller interventions that start to add up o- over time as well. So one thing I promised was that we would get a cheaper feed-in meter for those who wanted to feed in power to the city grid. That meter is now in place. It's about uh, 50% of the cost that it used to be. So, so it's halved in price. Uh, people were complaining about the length of time that it takes to get uh, p- permission to install a solar installation in the city. Uh, later this month, we will launch our, our totally automated uh, online process, which which will give you permission to install within a few days. Uh, we have increased the feed-in tariff. Uh, you know, we're doing everything everything that we said we were going to do to make it better and easier to uh, to install solar. Uh, we've we've actually got companies that are getting cash back from the city. We we said we're going to pay cash for for power that you that you sell back to us and i was so thrilled uh, last week i visited a furniture manufacturer did not know that they were one of the customers that we were actually paying but when i arrived they said they were so excited because for the last few months they've uh, they've been receiving payments from the city for uh, for energy sold back to us that that kind of thing is is adds up over time and builds uh, builds more energy capacity in the city grid and then as you mentioned most recently, we've launched Power Heroes, which is a, a kind of targeted demand response program uh, for those peak hours of the day, the morning peak and the evening peak, which has the potential, if enough people sign up, we need about 30,000 households to sign up, uh, uh, then we can save an entire additional stage of load shedding just with that one intervention. Uh, so all of these things over time are going to start adding up and it's just about making sure that they're all on track uh, and that we're pushing them as hard as we can uh, all together so that uh, when they do start delivering power, that we can, we can start moving through those, those levels of load shedding protection and say goodbye to load shedding with the ultimate aim, as you absolutely correctly say, of, of attracting more business and investment to Cape Town so that more people can get into work. It's a heck of a template and one that I'm sure many ratepayers around the country would love to see in their areas. But is it conceivable that what you've done in Cape Town could be transplanted to Etekweni, for instance, which is in an absolute mess at the moment, Ekuruleni, which seems to be just, well, bedeviled with corruption, Chwani, Johannesburg, other metros. How long, if it could be translated, would it take for those cities to get to the point that you're at now? Look, you've got to stabilize the, the finances. Everything is built off, off uh, stable, predictable finances where you've got a solvent, uh, a solvent city. 
Now, according to the uh, report that the National Treasury put out in December on the state of local government finances, uh, Cape Town is the only uh, city in the country that they classify as, as financially healthy. All of the other cities are in some state of, of financial distress. And in fact, uh, when you go to smaller municipalities, it's even worse. There's something like 150 smaller municipalities across the country which are in varying stages of financial distress and financial collapse even. Uh, so that it's really hard uh, when, you, when you don't have uh, the, the, the finances, the financial base to, to do all of this stuff. You've got to first slowly build out of that, out of that hole. Uh, and that is what, for example, my, my uh, colleague Celia Brink is doing in Twane, is to just slowly climb out of that, that financial hole. And it is deep. Uh, but once you, once you stabilize the finances and you uh, start to win some public confidence such that your, your paying customers are no longer leaving, this is the biggest problem in, in Johannesburg and, uh, and Etiquini, is that paying customers are actually leaving the city. And we are the beneficiaries of that, I'm afraid. And, and places like where you live in, in Hermanus are the beneficiaries of that. But, uh, but it makes it, uh, it, it makes it double as difficult for, for them if, you, if you've got a declining revenue base. So once you've stabilized that, then there's no reason why you can't replicate that and be much more ambitious. And actually, I think, Alec, if you, similarly to, to what ESCOM has to face and what uh, SAA has to face, you realize you have to uh, privatize more and more of these services and, uh, and explore public-private partnerships uh, for, for, for more and more basic services so that you don't, uh, e even if you don't have the finances to do it, you can still, you can still fund it through private sector capital. Uh, so I think that's increasingly going to have to be the answer for most of the issues in, in places like Johannesburg and, and Bloemfontein, which is even much worse, uh, and, and so on. You didn't answer the time period. Years, I guess? Oh, uh, look, I think, I think to stabilize the finances, depending on how deep the hole is, of course, but, but to stabilize the finances takes probably years, yes. Uh, it, it, it's about right-sizing your debt, trying to pay down some of the debt, trying to uh, get rid of some supernumerary staff that are bloating your wage bill. Uh, so it's, it's a tough, tough job, and it, does, it is definitely a question of years. Jordan Hill Lewis is the executive mayor of Cape Town. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com.